Welcome to the Ignite Physio Podcast. This is episode number 22, and I'm your host, Andrew Kopian. I want to thank you for joining me again today on the podcast. Uh, we're going to be doing another research roundup today, and I, and I hope that you find these uh, sessions and episodes helpful because uh, what we really want to do is help uh, you know bring some of the more recent research uh, that we're coming across uh, in the physiotherapy journals and make it easy for you to actually digest that content and uh, stay up to date on some things. Join with me today is, is Ruth Gothard, and we're going to be talking about uh, an article that was just published in the Journal of Orthopedic and Sports Physical Therapy, JSPT, in February of this year. And the title of the article is Increasing Recreational Physical Activity in Patients with Chronic Low Back Pain, a Pragmatic Controlled Clinical Trial. So, Russ, uh, fill, uh, fill in the listeners a little bit in terms of what this study is about. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, like the title kind of suggests, it's a, it's a controlled trial. Um, it's investigating the efficacy of a enhanced trans-theoretical model intervention uh, of physiotherapy versus a regular model of physiotherapy. And uh, they're looking specifically at uh, low back pain, chronic low back pain that's been around for more than three months. And they're sort of looking at the disability that causes, the pain-related disability. And um, yeah, that's interesting because I know that the trans theoretical model of change is something that I, you know, did some study when uh, in physio school and also did some uh, further reading on that in when I just uh, was in one of uh, my initial uh, PT jobs. And what I found was interesting was just how they, you know, they break down, you know, the different stages that people are going through as they're, uh, you know, about to make change in their life. Um, you know, whether that's pre-contemplative or, you know, the contemplation stage or preparation stage. And so that was what really piqued my interest with this article was how they were actually incorporating this into, um, you know, uh, patients with chronic low back pain and actually uh, comparing that to regular uh, physical therapy treatment. Yeah, so that's literally what they're doing is uh, they're having physiotherapists, they're, they're assigning patients either to a physiotherapist um, trained to use the trans-theoretical model in this context or a regular physiotherapist who gives them sort of all the standard physiotherapy interventions you'd think of. Um, in, the, in the experimental group, they'd be classified according to some pretty set criteria into, into any one of those stages. And then the intervention given by the physio would be specifically matched for that stage. Yeah, and I think what's interesting too is that, uh, you know, especially with chronic low back pain uh, patients, you know, I know just from my own practice that those have been the patients that have had the hardest time actually staying with the treatment program and 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 actually following through. And I know when I you know have done my discharge planning, that's often been the case. I'm like, there's been this pattern of where those patients have just sort of given up or, or dropped off in terms of uh, treatment. And and that's what I thought was interesting was that they recognized how um, you know these patients have, you know, low motivation, they have low self-efficacy uh, in terms of uh, physical activity, and they have fear of movement. And, and I think what, uh, from what I read, you know, the, uh, the authors of the study were really looking at how do we actually use that trans-theoretical model of change, and does it make a difference in terms of addressing these issues that they were seeing in the chronic low back patient population? Yeah, absolutely. They really identified those three things actually as, uh, as as some of the components to overcome with this with this population of patients. And uh, so, for example, the fear of movement thing. They, uh, it's a big thing with chronic low back pain is it, it hurts to move, so you don't want to move, so people get scared to move. Um, so, for example, what they did, they had them speed walking in a safe context in the physiotherapy setting to kind of to kind of prove to them that moving was going to be a good thing for them to overcome that fear of movement. So, what with the intervention group then? What were the physical therapists allowed to do? Uh, they had uh, th there was there was a, a small set of exercises they were allowed to prescribe, but the exercises were only deemed to be successful if they reduced the pain within that same session. 
Uh, if they didn't do that, then the the patients were just recommended to go home and continue with a recreational activity um, that was previously decided upon between the patient and the physio. They would kind of come to an agreement about what they would what they would like to do, whether it be walking, swimming, biking, gym workout, that kind of thing. And uh, if if those particular exercises didn't help that patient, then they just go home and do the just do the recreational activity instead. Yeah, that's, that was something, that was something interesting. I you know read in the studies that they they selected that recreational physical activity just because of the evidence is low in terms of adherence to prescribed exercises, which I think, you know, it matches what I've seen uh, in the clinic as well. Yeah, that's right. It's a very collaborative kind of effort to come to, to come to an agreement about what a good exercise is going to be for that patient. And so uh, it sounds like the therapist actually had some training uh, using this uh, stages of change model. Um, do you mind sharing a little bit about what, what they went through or? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it was it was a two day training program for these therapists on the ETMO. I'm going to call the ETMI the Enhanced Trans Theoretical Model. Um, a month apart with television supervision between the sessions. So they they were given training on one day. They kind of went home. They practiced. They read some stuff. They came back uh, for another day with with some telephoning in between. Yeah. So I included things like. Uh, they're like enhancing their communication skills to talk to patients and uh, detecting what stage those patients were in for the classification uh, into into the stages of change. Um, like I mentioned before, they had some pretty specific criteria for how to operationalize what stage those those patients would be in, and that's part of the training as well. Well, it sounded like the uh, physical therapy control group actually. I mean, the therapists were really, you know, they had a pretty wide open uh, range of things that they could do. I mean, they they highlighted you know mobilization, uh, manipulation. Back exercise, posture training, back school, e-stem, shortwave, stretching, you know, so it sounds like they actually had, you know, quite a variety of things that, you know, as physiotherapists we would traditionally do. Yeah, they were they were given pretty much entirely free reign to do whatever they wanted. And interestingly as well, like the, the, the ATMI group, the experimental group, they weren't allowed to do any of those things, just those four exercises and the, the, the communication skills, obviously, and then that recreational activity as well. Yeah, you know, when they actually included in the index, or the appendix of the uh, the article, uh, you know, what exercises they actually were allowed to choose from in terms of the intervention group, and really they were pretty simple things. I mean, it's actually worthwhile, you know, for listeners to uh, to download so you can actually just see. But I mean, really, it's you know, basic extension exercise, you know, standing every half hour to stand up and stretch your back, you know, crook lie where you do a pelvic tilt, you do your knees to chest in, in uh, supine. You know, you do a lumbar rotation side, you know, rotation side to side, and then uh, just um, you know, uh, supine with uh, legs on a stool or couch, just to uh, basically sort of be in that uh, sort of resting position. It's just really basic exercises that uh, really are, are non-threatening, I think, to a patient to do that has you know chronic pain. Yeah, entirely just directional preference, uh, like pseudo McKenzie kind of stuff. Yep. Yeah. So, so what kind of results did they uh, they get, so Russell? Nice sharing with that. Uh, absolutely, yeah. Um, so, I mean, kind of, you probably already guessed from now, um, there was some good results for, from the ETMI group, for sure. Um, the primary outcome measure, like I mentioned before, was the back pain-specific disability, and that was statistically better than the control group at 12 months. Um, there wasn't a difference at three months, but as far as that 12-month long-term follow-up goes, the experimental group definitely did better there. Yeah, well, and I... Another table that struck me in this article, they, they actually uh, looked at the intervention group that was an N of 72, and they had them uh, class, pre-classified basically in terms of the stages of change. And, you know, there was quite about 30% prior to treatment were in the contemplation stage, and after treatment only uh, 7% were. In. And in the preparation stage, uh, 45% were in that stage, and then after treatment only about 20%. And then in action, which started out at only at 15%, actually 
uh, you know, had the biggest jump to, to just under 70%. So I thought that was really interesting to see just how much of a change uh, had taken place in terms of moving people along through that uh, stages of change model. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, just to point out as well, there was there was two patients out of the 72 in the pre-contemplation to start and then zero afterwards. So everybody progressed in some way. I think it would be kind of interesting to see specifically whether or not any patients maybe regressed in that, in, in, in the stages as well, but they don't unfortunately give us that data. So Yeah, and it sounds like they, that most of the people, about 60%, actually selected walking as their target of recreational activity, which makes sense. I mean, I think that's the easiest activity to do. Uh, with the least amount of equipment, but uh, you know there were some other things that people did in terms of cycling and, and aerobics and some swimming, and then it sort of tapers off from from that. Mm-hmm. It makes a lot of sense for the sort of uh, uh, movement adverse kind of chronic low back pain population. Yeah, and I thought what was also the other big takeaway for me in this article was they actually uh, mapped out what uh, the intervention uh, was about, and I thought it would be worthwhile to actually go through that just so that people have a better sense of what that looks like. Because I know when I was reading through the article the first time, I was like, you know, I sort of skipped over this table. And I was like, well, yeah, that's fine, Danny. You're talking about stages of change. I mean, that, you know, that conceptually makes sense. But what does that actually look like from an intervention standpoint? Uh, and so I thought, you know, it, there's obviously a little bit of detail. But I think that, uh, you know, for uh, clinicians who are listening, I think, you know, they might be able to get some things that you might be able to put into practice here. You know, just even in terms of the, the protocols that they had set out. Um, so yeah, so why don't we start? They, they basically have a standardized protocol that was applied to everyone in the intervention group. And then they had this individualized protocol that was at the discretion of the therapist in terms of uh, adjusting it for each uh, person. Um, you know, there was, for the standardized protocol, they had two standard statements were delivered to all patients. So the first statement was, it's easy to reduce pain. The problem is ensuring that it does not return. And the second statement was that it's important that the body is strong and flexible. And um, what they wanted to do was with uh, talking about these statements with the patients is really uh, leading to the value, the discussion around the value of physical activity and preventing and managing low back pain. And I definitely appreciated them including that in the standardized protocol as well. It seems like that's that's serving as a little bit of a control to the individualized protocol because it does seem like there was a lot more of a counseling kind of element to the individualized protocol to the ETMI group without those statements there. Well, and I think that, you know, they also reinforce that uh, really about building that therapeutic alliance. And I think that there's been, you know, increasing amounts of research uh, that is that is being done around the, the significance in, uh, of that. And I know even, you know, the podcast I did with Maxi where we talked about that, you know, I think that uh, they really focus on bringing that, uh, you know, front and center in terms of that standardized protocol. Um, and then I know that they also said that uh, what they wanted to communicate uh, around physical activity is that it is the most powerful intervention for low back pain. It's supported by international research. It's supported by the World Health Organization. And really any aerobic physical activity will do. And um, and what they also said is that they instructed patients that as soon as the pain starts, increasing levels of physical activity will help. And once pain has subsided, it's important to use the full range of movements, uh, you know, as highlighted in those exercises in the appendix to uh, to maintain that so I thought that was interesting. You know, it's often easy, I think, you know, when patients do experience increased pain to say, well, okay, then you better back off a little bit and all that. And, you know, and they were saying, no, we've got to move through that. We've got to desensitize your nervous system and and basically retrain the brain to say, okay, it's okay to do movement. It's okay to keep moving. Yeah, no, absolutely. So uh, you want to share a little bit about what the individualized protocol was about? Yeah, for sure. 
so yeah, the, the two big steps, the individualized protocol first off was, uh, matching the stage of change. So, uh, the stage of change. So identifying what stage of change that patient is in particularly. Um, so like I said, they had a, a very specific set of criteria to identify what stage they were in based on the kind of things they were vocalizing and the kind of actions they were taking. And then they would adapt the process of the intervention to match the stage of change. So, for example, contemplators, so people in the contemplative stage, they'd focus on increasing awareness. They focus on increasing the pros and cons verbalized by the patient. Um, and all the time, the, the physiotherapist would maintain a kind of neutral posture there. Uh, yeah, yeah. And if I can just jump in for a second, I know that yeah. uh, for myself, uh, you know, in terms of uh, working with patients and using the stages of change, I think what often happens, especially when people are in that contemplative stage, is that uh, we as a therapist want to encourage them and talk about the pros of physical activity and we want to, you know, uh, you know, highlight the cons and and really what um, is important is actually getting the patient to talk about that getting the patient to talk about the pros of uh, you know changing their behavior talking about the cons of staying where they're at with which is basically inactivity um, and really allowing the patient to process that so that they can start to move through that stage and what I've found is that when if we if we reverse the roles and the therapist is taking that on we end up just inc um, experiencing uh, resistance uh, on the part of the patient because they're going to find the reasons not to change they're going to find the reasons of why things are okay the way they are and I think that's uh, I think that's really um, you know need to see what they've done here because I, I totally agree I think that's that makes a lot of sense for the therapist to be leading that that process there. Yeah, and that's where all that good motivational interviewing comes for, for, for sure there. Um, and that was also part of the training for the for the physios for uh, for uh, administrating the uh, the experimental group there as well with some enhanced motivational interviewing training. Uh, the, another example, so for those who are in the preparation stage in the experimental group, they were asked to give like specific commitments to engage in physical activity, so specific times, dates, places, and what kind of activity they were going to do. And uh, they were also asked to communicate that to others um, and also agreeing to a level of effort and coaching in healthy walking. Yeah, and I think what was interesting too was in the article, I, I'm just going to jump out here for a second, about what they um, wanted in terms of a level of effort is that they, the objective was for patients to commit to 30 minutes of moderate uh, aerobic activity. And they were defining moderate um, according to Beck and all as patients that could speak but not sing. So. Mm -hmm. And that's a, that's a really great guideline. I've been using that a lot with my patients uh, on placement right now, actually. It's, uh, it's easy to remember and it's a great guideline. So uh, as far as continuing on with uh, the experimental criteria there, um, for in the next consultation, so in the next session with those patients, the ones that failed to carry out the commitment as they had verbalized, um, they were given sort of a motivational interview to find out to find out what happened there. Um, and uh, if the responses scored very, very low as far as as far as self-efficacy went, they changed the routine to be much easier. So if they felt like they couldn't do it, if they felt like they weren't they weren't capable of doing what they had agreed to before, they changed the routine to make it easier so it would be more doable for the patient. I was just going to mention that, uh, you know, they, they mentioned the book uh, Miller and Rolnick, which is really sort of the Bible in terms of motivational interviewing. And that's a great read if you, uh, you know, want to, you know, sort of do a further deep dive on that topic. Perfect. Um, yeah, and then after that, for those who were afraid of walking and who said it increased their pain, uh, this is where they did the exposure therapy I was talking about before for uh, for the pain avoidance, um, where they were speed walking down the corridor in the physiotherapy's office or, or or hospital, whatever the setting may be, just to sort of prove them like they could do it in a safe place. It didn't increase their pain. Actually, it, it would it would decrease their pain. Well, that's good. Yeah, no, I mean, I think this is. Uh, I think I, I'm glad we had a chance to go through this because I think it gives us some uh, some different. Uh, uh, hooks to you know hang our hat on in terms of uh, how to approach these patients and maybe even structure our, our treatment sessions a little differently and 
and really using more of a biopsychosocial approach to uh, working with these patients. For sure. I mean, it's only one study and it's not a perfect study by any means. There are some problems with it, but it's, it's pretty conclusive results that, that using this model had better results than just using regular physiotherapy approach. So it's, it's definitely a, a lot of good information there. Yeah, so what we'll do is we'll uh, in include the uh, link to the article uh, along with the reference so you can uh, you know, uh, you know, do some further reading if, it, if this uh, article interested you. Uh, but we hope that, that you found this uh, study uh, useful. And um, you know, I know that uh, you know, treating chronic low back patient, uh, pain patients it can be a challenge. And um, you know, if there's questions that you want to post on Ignite, uh, I'd love for you to do that and hopefully get some conversation going around this in terms of what... Um, has worked for for people. So, uh, Russ, thanks again for being on the show, and uh, look forward to the next uh, research roundup. Yeah, looking forward, Andrew. Thanks a lot.